Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name's Tim, and this is... Joy. And I just want to let everybody know before we get into the podcast today, it is hotter than the sun today. I think it was 100 degrees F for people who use non-metric units. I don't know what that is in your respective money. It's probably something, I don't know, 20, 40, something. I was going to say 30 is like 90, so it'd probably be like 35 or 40. Didn't we just didn't we say 30 was like 90 or something? Probably. I never paid much attention to um, to temperature when I when I lived in England and I've only paid attention to it since I've lived here. <laughs> and I've got to grips with the F thing. So that's why the C, I'm not really sure. I think it's like 30 something, 37. I was right, Tim. Look at me. Something. The American knew more than the British person on that one. <laughs> there we go. Well, we, uh, we both join. I have air conditioning in our houses, but I'm up in the, um, in the recording music broadcast suite and the HVAC system doesn't really work that well up here. Well, and I, think I have joy- to cut mine off. Yeah, and you have to switch yours off because of the uh, because of the noise it makes. So, yeah, um, you guys would be hearing all the entire podcast. <laughs> otherwise, so me and Tim look like we're melting, and you might see that when we record the CD of the week because <laughs> we actually are. I don't know. When I was in the car, I went to the store maybe thirty minutes before we started this. It was ninety six degrees. Goodness me. I got in my car after work today and I know it'd been sitting there all day, but I think it said 102 or 103 when I cranked it. Do you have black interior? Yeah. Of course. See, I didn't I, the car I had before had a cream interior and not only was it good for like the heat thing, mm-hmm. I thought it just looked more attractive. I don't, the black interior shows all the dirt. I feel like it does too. See, mine's like a grayish color. So it's not so bad on the dirt, but it does get really hot. And like, it, just cause it's dark, like my steering wheel will physically burn me sometimes when I touch it. Do, do you have a remote starter? I do not. Charlie does. I don't. For some reason yeah. I didn't get that fancy uh, piece when I got mine. It does have a backup <laughs> camera though. So there well, you go. That's not too bad. I have a remote starter. So 10 minutes before the end of work, I remote start it. So it's a little bit chilled uh, before I leave. It does have a max. Did you just have the max AC, the button you could push it? It's like crazy mm-hmm. cool. It does have that. So I don't really have to burn myself for that long. Yeah, I just have to remember to set the dials before I uh, before I do the remote start <laughs> because it they, they're all it's the base model. I didn't get the fancy one. So it has knobs, not electronic yeah. HVAC in it. So you have to remember to set it where you want it before you do the remote start. I think I believe that's what they call a first world problem. That's exactly. You knew where I was going. I was like, that's one of the big first world problems. Gosh, I had to use a knob instead of a button. I mean, it's, it's terrible. I mean, I'd have to remember to set it to cool and max AC before I get out of the car. I mean, this is terrible. See, I don't have the remote start, but I do have to. I can use the knobs, but I also could use like on my screen and just press the button like the buttons lcd screen led lcd whatever it is lcd probably that would be my guess i would assume there we are well well, well i'm glad everyone's enjoying this music podcast <laughs> where we talk about how we cool our cars and respective <laughs> controls <laughs> well that's relevant to anything everybody's like i don't care what kind of screen you have in your car all right tim what's the next <laughs> topic at hand <laughs> well this is a, a follow-up to the ask joy that we did in the last episode now joy revealed that her dad had a tattoo of only the lonely and Joy was asking the question whether he still had the tattoo or whether it faded or whether it had it inked over the top or some variation of the two. So, Joy, what is the deal with the family tattoo? That one still exists. So okay. he says he still has that one. And then he has um, a skull on his back shoulder. and He has another one on the other arm. But um, a lot of them have faded because he's. Uh, he's like, you guys joke about me having bad luck with injuries. I, when I was talking to my dad and I asked him, I said, it's, does the tattoo still exist? Because I s- assume you're just one big scar now. And he goes, that is true, but that one has made it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that has made it. He said the dice are a little kind of faded, but you can read where it says the Royal River said only the lonely. Oh, there you go. I think back years ago, I think the inks they had didn't have UV blockers in them and the quality of the inks wasn't as good as they are now. So you find a lot of those old tattoos do tend to fade or they sort of go a bit sludgy and you can't really make stuff well, out. Well, and my father didn't go to the normal reputable <laughs> tattoo <laughs> shop when he got his back in the day. So uh, for debate where that one came from. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, there we are. Well, I, well I'm, I'm glad it still exists, though. I'm glad that mystery has finally been solved. I know. This is the hot topic everybody's been pressed about. I tell you, I've had people stop me in the street and they said, do you know what the deal is with the uh, Morrison family tattoo? I said, I don't know. I said, it'll be revealed <laughs> on the next episode. I mean, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a rough week, Joy. You know, remote that person was confused because we said Jim Morrison, Tim. <laughs> he was very confused on what we were talking about. <laughs> Anyway, oh, fabulous. Right. Okay, so I'm going to do a um, a CD of the week. Now, this week's CD of the week is Level 42. Now, are you familiar with the band Level 42? Mm, I don't think so. If you name a song, I might be able to guess it, but it doesn't ring a bell. Okay, so I've chosen a best of of Level 42. Okay. I like their album Running in the Family, but I don't have a physical copy of it. The only physical album I have of Level 42 is this one and it's called Level Best. Now they were called Level 42 because they were a fan of Douglas Adams and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And as you oh, know- okay, now I get it, okay. Yeah, as you know, the answer to life, the universe and everything is 42. 42, okay, I see. And they were they were from famously also from the Isle of Wight, which I think is another place that we've spoken of on this mm. podcast. Yeah, it's come up before. So this is, as I said, this is a best of compilation of theirs. Um, I don't know that maybe this. Were you heard of the track "Running in the Family"? Yeah, yeah, that's probably the track I thought you would have. There's there the earlier hit, "The Sun Goes Down," something about you, Tracy, Star Child, it's over. I mean, these are all great tracks. Take care of yourself, okay. heaven in my hands. Children say, "Love games, Chinese way, leaving me now." Micro kid. I what mean, genre of music are they? It's eighties sort of funky pop, I suppose. Hmm. Mark King, the, the singer and the bass player from this group, mm-hmm. is famously an amazing bass player. And he, he's one of these guys who, um, I don't say pioneered, but certainly um, was famous for the slap bass type style. Yeah, I think you talked about him once before. Yeah, and a, a, lot of, um, a lot of pop in this era sounds, I hate to say it's sort of similar. It's certainly the, it's a very similar to the kind of pop that was around at yeah. that time. But what this has for it is they were, for one, they were a full band. It's not like um, somebody who was singing with studio music, musicians, which some 80s artists were. This Level 42 were, were, a, were a band out there getting mm-hmm. it done. And Mark King's ba- bass prowess really does lead to this. Especially like... Oh, I'm sorry, Tim. Go ahead. And I was going to say something like running in the family. The whole thing, really, if you listen to it deeply, is that slap bass line. Well, all I was going to say is I was just think it's interesting with bass players because, you know, they're kind of the joke sometimes. But a really good bass player makes all the difference in the world because there's there's plenty of bass players out there. Right. But a really good one can make all the difference. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, not a bass player doesn't have to be a virtuoso like Mark King. A bass player could be someone like Michael Anthony from Van Halen, mm-hmm. who is a, as they would say in this country, a meat and potatoes bass player. He's not anything fancy. He's not doing tapping. He's not doing slapping. He's not doing, you know, advanced bass techniques. But what he knew is that you've got Alex Van Halen playing up those drums like you wouldn't believe you got Ed, the you know the musical genius yeah. of eddie van halen what does it need it needs a solid thick bass line holding it all together like the glue yeah i think that's kind of if you have a really good bass player they can tailor it to whatever they're playing and that makes all because a bass line can be just generic or mm-hmm. it can really fit a song really well and it, when it does fit a song really well it makes all the difference Absolutely. And I, I mean, this is this is sort of built round Mark King's bass playing because he's the singer and he's the band leader and he's Makes the sense. bass player. But I mean, I've heard him play with other people. There was some Prince's Trust concerts, which ended up on YouTube, mm-hmm. where he was playing with Brian May and Roger Taylor and he was playing some Queen songs and stuff. And I mean, he, you know, he, he can turn his hand to anything. And I think he impressed me in those concerts because every time you see him in level 42, he's playing in his Mark King style. But when mm-hmm. I saw him play at these Prince's Trust concert, he was playing exactly the part that was needed. See, and that, yeah, that's always cool when you get to see someone out of what you normally see them in and you realize, oh, wow, they really are a virtuoso. They could do it all if they wanted to. Exactly. So I recommend everyone goes and listens to Level 42. I'm sure it's available on uh, MySpace and um, Ask Jeeves or wherever you get mm-hmm. your music from these days. Yeah, um, the music. But, you find yeah, it from a chat room in AOL. They, there you go, or Yahoo chat rooms or something like that, or ICQ. <laughs> Maybe get it on ICQ and it go, uh-oh, and then it will be uh, 
<laughs> some SoundCloud. We'll we'll send you a SoundCloud artist that does a run make of it as well. Just ask us; it's fine. No, I are. will say Yahoo Chat. I'm going to leave this as my end of the little of our YouTube video. The reason I do feel like I have the music knowledge I have now, we joke about Yahoo Chat, but I was a member of a Yahoo Chat that all we did was music trivia, and it was a bunch of British people. Ironically, <laughs> and now this happened. <laughs> I never, I never got into Yahoo Chat. I used to do like ICQ and mm-hmm. MSN Messenger, um, but I never got into Yahoo Chat rooms. Here's the real question, Tim: Do you remember what your messenger username was? <laughs> Yeah, because it was the same as my Hotmail account. It was Tim underscore Caesar. Oh, he wasn't one of those ones. Like, he was too old. He was older. Like, everybody my age was something ridiculous, like cute girl 75 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I was hoping Tim had a ridiculous one. All right, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, there we go. Anyhow, that is your CD of the week. All right. Okay, so we're going to move into the topic of this week's uh, podcast. Now, this week is my topic. However, I've given Joy some homework to do because this, again, is another one of these artists which I didn't know was not widely known in the United States. And I, you know, Joy is a connoisseur of music, but I sometimes get surprised that she doesn't have a deep knowledge on artists. So I think everyone should know about and when we did the episode unknown in the usa i think i probably incorrectly picked tom jones as one of those people who's not terribly well known i think the songs i picked were probably not well known yeah certainly the name of tom jones maybe wasn't quite as obscure but this is the artist i should have picked Mm. so this week's episode we're going to be talking about cliff richard now before i get into i'm going to talk a little bit about cliff richard and then we're going to go through some songs that i asked joy to listen to before i get into any of that prior to this episode had you heard of cliff richard did you know anything about cliff richard there are two songs on this that i recognize two songs out of the whole thing and you probably can guess the two there are two songs that hit um the american charts that i've mm-hmm. heard one specifically has been used in probably every tv show and movie to indicate a bad person's on the screen mm-hmm. <laughs> but i don't know that i knew it was him like i don't think i knew the name i just happened to know that song like oh, i couldn't yeah. have told you who was singing it so I think I have seen him before and I have heard him, but I wouldn't like pick up on who he was. No. Okay. And then I think that's very common because I've spoken to people and mentioned the name Cliff Richard and they have no idea what I'm talking about. But then you name one or two songs that were popular and they may be like, oh, okay. Yeah. I kind of know. Yeah. In fact, yeah. We said we'll come on to those when we go through the songs, but the ones that you've picked out that you said you knew are probably the ones that most people would knew here because they were seventies hits. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just interesting how um, well known he is in the UK. Well, how known, well known he is in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Europe, Asia. He's like this force of nature. However, <laughs> he never broke the US market, it seems. He sounds, I hate to say this, very like up on the American style too. like his music sounded like what you would have heard during the different time frames in America, even his fashion sense and everything. So I just found that very interesting that he was not as popular. Yeah. Some artists just for whatever reason, never break the US market. And it's just that's that's just how it is. But anyhow, let's uh, let's just run through about Cliff. If you don't know about him, it's Sir Cliff Richard OBE. So he's been knighted and he has an OBE. Well, Uh, and he was born Harry Roger Webb. Harry Webb is his real name. I would have changed that, too. Yeah, I I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of webs in the world and gentlemen called Harry and it's fine. But I think from a rock and roll perspective, Cliff Richard does have a little bit of a better ring to it. Yes, I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) And he holds British and Barbadian citizenship. I saw that. That was cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And up till recently, he's been spending his time between the UK and Barbados. Hmm. And does he have family? Soul... So say that again. I'm sorry. Does he have like family in both places or? No, I think he just fell in love with Barbados. And, you know, when you've got Cliff Richard money, if you want to spend half the time there, you can. (laughs) That's fair. All right. I'll quit interrupting. I was just curious. It's kind of random. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's sold more than 250 million records worldwide. And he literally is one of the best-selling artists of all time. Hmm. And he's sold 21.5 million singles in the United Kingdom. Wow. I mean... And and he's the third best-selling artist behind the Beatles and Elvis Presley. What? (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I just feel like I've been missing something my entire life. Yeah, and he's also very unique that he's had a number one hit in every single decade from the 50s up to the current day. And that was what was so interesting because I'd be like, and I guarantee this was the 50s and I click it, it was. I was like, and now I'm in the 60s. Like I could just tell by, you know, the genre of music. And I'm like, dang, he did a song from 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And I just kept going down. Yeah. And uh, not only was he a singer, he's acted and he, he had films, The Young Ones and Summer Holiday. He, you know, he's following the sort of the in the footsteps of the Beatles and Elvis by acting in films and being yeah. like a personality and all that kind of stuff. And um as of late, he's been living in the United States. From 2019, he's been living in New York City. Well, if he's listening and he wants to tell us why he'd ever been in America and he lives here now, please, please come on the show. Exactly. We'll, well, one of the reasons it happened is, do you remember that whole business we spoke about with Top of the Pops with Jimmy Savile and all those atrocities that happened with Jimmy yeah. Savile and all those hanger honors? He got wrapped into this. Mm. Cliff... The, nothing had cliff was not guilty at all there was no evidence there was no nothing he's just cliff, cliff, he just got dragged into it and they dragged his name through the mud and mm -hmm. then they, they they went through his house and investigated his stuff and then it was a thing and he successfully sued the police and he successfully sued the bbc who sensationalized it all and he got you know hundreds of thousands of pounds or millions of pounds mm -hmm. from them and, and to clear his name but he felt that the, to some respect, the, the UK was dead to him after that. He felt that, you know, he'd given everything so much to the UK and this is how he was rewarded. So he decided to move to uh, the United States. And that's one of those things, no matter how many times it comes out, that is not true. Kind of like when we talked about what's her face dying from eating the ham sandwich, right? We know mm -hmm. she didn't actually die from Mama and the Papas. She didn't actually die from eating the ham sandwich, but you still, people believe it to this day. The evidence is all there. You, none of that is true. But like, because it was all over the news and people heard it in passing, but they never did enough research to find out the conclusion. He was basically trial by the news, right? And so yeah, they found him guilty. Yeah, trial trial by media. And I think some of the articles I read about Cliff, that's how he felt. It's like, yeah, okay, mm -hmm. the Metropolitan Police came out and said, you know, there's no evidence and Cliff's name is cleared and stuff. But, you know, if you Google search Cliff Richard, what's going to come up? It's all that nonsense in 2014. And it's, you know, Cliff always has been the Peter Pan of pop. He's been squeaky clean. He mm. found religion later on in his life. He's got involved in Christian music. You know, there's no, there's no flies on Cliff. And this incident in 2014 was terrible. Well, I can't blame him for wanting to get out of the area, too. And since he wasn't as popular in America, I see why he would have came here because we would I've never heard of any of this that you're talking about. So yeah, and then that and that's that's the article I read said that he said that he one of the reasons he chose the United States is because he was relatively unknown and he felt he could live his life in peace and he wouldn't get hassled with that kind of stuff. Smart, honestly. Exactly, but we won't dwell on that. We're going to dwell on how great Cliff is and some of his absolutely fantastic music now. For some people, I'd imagine for a large proportion of the, uh, certainly the UK audience, Cliff is one of those artists that is your <laughs> mum's music. Definitely, yeah. And certainly for, yeah, certainly for me growing up, I remember my mum had the album Wired for Sound, and then she also had the album, it's like a Cliff Greatest Hits album, mm. which has like a yellow record on the front with his profile on the edge of it. Now, <laughs> Wide for Sound evaporated into the sands of time, though I did buy a vinyl copy recently just so I could have one. But the Cliff Greatest Hits album that my mum had, I have it now because when I was last in England, she was going through some stuff and she didn't know what to keep and what to get rid of because they were moving house. But I took some of their records with me and that's the one I have. So I have that as a family heirloom. That's cool. Which is, which is, which is good to have. Okay, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to go through this list of songs. I gave Joy 15 songs to listen to. I don't know if we'll get through to all of them, but I would just want interested to know what joy thinks of these various songs as we go along there's one song that we have to get to and it's the christmas one that's all i'm oh. gonna say okay yeah all right well, we we will get to that. <laughs> uh, that and that that particular song i performed that on radio freak jam in my spoken word style <laughs> I, I have a lot of notes on that song <laughs> anyway continue okay so we're gonna open it with his very first hit 
from 1958. I should also point out that Cliff is 80 at this point. Yeah, he has to be because these dogs were very old. (laughs) And I heard an interview with uh, Cliff and he said that his favorite artist at the moment is American guitar player Joe Bonamassa, which is very interesting. That's cool, though. Which I thought was super cool because, you know, Cliff was right at there at the beginning of rock and roll. And, you know, the fact that he's he's still listening to guitar based music and still loves it. That's cool. It's a good choice, too. Yeah. But anyhow, let's um, let's start with movies. So I said this is his hit from 1958 and it was Cliff Richard and the Shadows. It was actually, I I believe when the single first came out, it was Cliff Richard and the Drifters. But they Mm -hmm. later on changed their name to the Shadows because they didn't know there was an American band called the called the Drifters. Yeah. And they would have been popular right around this time, 60s. So that, I, I caught on to that because when I first Googled it, I saw something that said like, because I was just looking at the song, it said, and the Drifters. And then later it said, and the Shadows. And I was like, huh. And then I started thinking about there's a band in America called the Drifters. It's funny you say that. Um, so my notes on this, and by the way, guys, I am not, um, <laughs> I'm not accountable for what I write down, what I'm just listening. So I said his voice sounds very familiar to me and very familiar with the time period he was seeing. Because this song was kind of, for those who don't know, was I would say 60s, maybe early 60s, late 60s, maybe even 50s. Well, this song is 1958. Okay, 50s. Okay. So it had a very doo-wop kind of sound. He was playing, you know, they're all in their suits. And the first thing after Charlie was watching this with me and Charlie's convinced he was to start wearing his hair in a pompadour. And I had to explain <laughs> to him what a pompadour was because he was like, oh, his hair's cool. How do I do that? I was like, that's called a pompadour. And he's like, what the heck is that? And so that we went on a, how to char, how Charlie could start wearing his hair in a pompadour. Um, <laughs> and for those who don't know it, it's that style that was popular when I was saying in the 50s, which is very big at the top, very low on the sides um, and kind of like, James Dean-esque, I guess, would be the way mm-hmm. to say it. Anyway, so we, there's a whole lot of notes about Charlie wearing his hair in a pompadour. And I said, the guitarists in this are really cool because about halfway through the song, it changes. Did you know what I'm talking about, Tim? It almost reminded me of the Beach Boys. Yeah, so the guitar player in The Drifters that they then became The Shadows was Hank Marvin. Hmm. And The Shadows themselves had their own completely separate career of instrumental guitar-led music, very similar to the US band The Ventures, if you're familiar Hmm. with The Ventures. I have heard them before, yeah. And the interesting thing is that uh, The Shadows and Hank Marvin, or Hank Marvin in particular, he had the very first Fender Stratocaster guitar that was in, in the UK. At the time, there was a post-war trade embargo and you officially couldn't buy one. But Mm. because they were in the same band as Cliff and Cliff was, you know, put up to be the next big thing and he was likened to Elvis and all this kind of stuff, they he he needed to have the best guitar for his band so he found out how to great import a fender guitar (laughs) into the uk and then hank marvin had the first one now the interesting thing is that they wanted to get the same kind of guitar that elvis's guitar player had james Mm -hmm. burton and they assumed that james burton would have the very best guitar because he was playing with elvis so they got a Fender brochure, US Fender brochure, went through it and found the best one. And it was a red Fender Stratocaster, gold hardware, bird's eye maple neck, all the best, the mm-hmm. best one that they had. They ordered it and it came and it fantastic. They could they couldn't believe it. And then like some years after the fact, they actually found out what guitar that James Burton played. And he played a beaten up black telecaster that was years old. <laughs> I figured that's what that was going. Well, I will <laughs> say even their stage presence and the way he was moving was very Elvis-esque down to some of the mouth movements. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were. So I can see what people would have cast him as that. I don't know if that was to be like Elvis or if that was natural for him. I don't know if he was trying to sell a character or not. But even like, because, you know, Elvis always had that thing where he like kind of, you know, the lip where he lifts one side of his lip. Mm-hmm. So whenever he was singing and the song Cliff Richard, I noticed he kind of did that too. And the way he was holding his body and that kind of stuff. And I don't know if it was this song, but the same band members you're talking about multiple times, I saw them dancing. Might've mm-hmm. been the song about dancing. And I'm like, I can't imagine playing and doing a choreographed routine. That seems really hard. <laughs> no, they were famous for it. When they would perform just as the shadows by themselves, yeah. they famously would have dance moves and routines that went with the songs. 
That's so cool. But like, doesn't that like to you, wouldn't it? I don't know. I don't think I could. I'm not, I don't have good hand-eye coordination. I couldn't do both. I just <laughs> fall or something. I don't think I could do both. <laughs> well, when I'm on stage, I sort of get in my moves, but I mean, I'm, I'm not doing choreography. Choreogra- I can't even say it. That word. <laughs> choreography. Yeah. <laughs> Tim's not getting choreographed over here. Okay. Well, anyway, but I just, for some reason, the guitar ripped in this specific song reminded me of the Beach Boys, but I can't pick out why. Yeah, because it's ba 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 Doesn't matter. Yeah. That's just what I got from it. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I might see that 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 was the world's first exposure to Cliff, so I wanted that to be the uh, first <laughs> exposure for you. Okay. So the next one, let's do a twofer because they they're both from both from uh, films that he was involved with from okay. 1962 and 1963 respectively, and that's the Young Ones and Summer Holiday. Okay, the young ones got on my nerves because it sounds like another modern modern song. The the way the setup of the chorus is and the back and forth, there's another song that has either sampled that, which is possible, or it's very close to it. And I can't figure out what it is, but I'm going to figure it out and tell you because and be able to, maybe you need to go back and listen Tim, to that one because there's some song and I can't place it that sounds almost identical in pieces to this song. Okay. I, I see. <laughs> when I think of the young ones, I think of the '80s BBC TV program, The Young Ones. Have you ever seen that with Adrian Ebenson and? Uh, Not a clue, Tim. <laughs> it was about these students that lived in a house together and hilarity and shoes. It was like sort of black comedy before that was a yeah. thing. I mean, it. I don't know. I just, there's just something in it. And so the entire time I was listening to it and I went back and listened to it three times, mind you, trying to figure out what the song was. But for those of our listeners who've never heard this, go listen to it. And if you could figure out what I'm referencing, please comment, tell us whatever, Facebook, Instagram, I don't care. I've got to figure out what it is, but there's some, either somebody has sampled it. It is not an official sample. You know what I mean? Cause I couldn't mm-hmm. Google it and find it. Or it just has the same very specific setup of another song. Cause like, it's kind of like there's like a flip between like a different sounds in it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like a back and forth. Mm-hmm. And that was what was very specific to me. And I know that I've heard that before. Okay. Not that that tells anyone anything about the song at all. Besides <laughs> that's the only note I have is what song is that? <laughs> and, how, and how about summer holiday? Okay. For summer holiday, I said, Oh, it's that Piccadilly place. Up in front of the book bus, he's riding a bus. Is this from the movie? I'm guessing. Yeah, if if you watch the video clip, yeah, it's one of those um, Routemaster double decker buses, and he's probably driving around Piccadilly Circuit. So they're on their way to their summer holiday. And it says Piccadilly, and then it says to South France, I guess. And then the song was really cool. It made me feel like I was going on a summer holiday. But then I got confused because the guy on the bus. Like there's like a guy who comes up to him on the bus and he gives him like a coffee or maybe a tea because British people. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> is that, yeah, is because that stereotyping? Coffee, is, coffee has never been invented in the UK. If you go to any place and ask for it, they say, sorry, we don't sell that here. But I mean, realistically, it might have been tea. It might have been coffee. I don't know. Whatever was in the mug. I imagine it was hot, though, because it was in a mug. And then he proceeds to hand him what looks like a like a sandwich. And yeah. the guy just sets the coffee down randomly somewhere to the bus. And then he sets the sandwich on top of it. And I'm like, that is an accident waiting to happen. <laughs> Especially on a moving bus. <laughs> and like all these people are going by and he's singing this song about going on his happy holiday, which was very upbeat, happy, easy go. I see how it works for a movie. And then like he's waving at bikers. And then as they're getting closer to Paris, I don't know if you caught all of this, Tim, all the bikers start to look more Parisian, like they've got like berets on stuff now <laughs> to indicate they're getting closer. <laughs> I don't know if you ever noticed that, but that's what I noticed. Um, but yeah, I said, why did he set the sandwich on the coffee? That's an accident waiting to happen in the next bit, <laughs> though, because he has an amazing tone to his voice, very effortless. That was my yeah. next step. Yeah, I think as the uh, as the years went on, he his voice changed, you know, with the style of music that he was playing. But yeah, mm-hmm. he, he does have a very unique voice in so much. It does sound very effortless when he sings. Yeah, he's got that. We talk about really famous artists that do things well. There's a certain sound that's very effortless that makes them like makes you want to listen to him more. He has that. He's totally talented, but I just don't think you should put co- um, random things of coffee or tea that are hot on a double decker bus as you're flying down the road. 
And there was well, no I, lid. <laughs> I could, maybe the, the interior scenes were not filmed with the bus moving. I don't know. <laughs> I just was like, but then the guy hands him the sandwich and he proceeds to just set it right on top of the cup. And I'm like, well, first of all, your coffee cup is going to fall. And second of all, when it falls, you're going to lose your literal lunch. <laughs> there goes your coffee and there goes your sandwich <laughs> are you see i i see I, I know what they probably did are you familiar with the uh the filming technique called the poor man's process mm, i don't think so so like you know in a tv show where you see somebody in a car and they're, they're pretending to drive and mm. then you see what looks like the road behind them but you can sort of tell it's not yeah what they do is they have a screen and then they project the picture of the road behind them Oh, I'm sure. And in filmmaking, it's known as the poor man's process. So I'm sure that is what happened. So I'm sure that sandwich was safe, Joy. Okay, so you just brought up something we need to have a conversation about. My pet peeve, my biggest pet peeve when it comes to watching TV shows or movies is the way people drive. They always drive like they're holding a hula hoop in their hands. Who drives like this, Tim? (laughs) People can't see what I'm doing, but I'm pretending like I'm like, it's like, when they go to turn the slightest in their car, it's like the whole hula hoop has to go full circle around for them to get past like the tiniest little curve. And I'm like, no. And then they'll be staring at the passenger, like just moving the hula hoop, like their hand moves the entire Tim, your hands don't move the entire time you're driving. <laughs> no. And you know what? It's worse in the A team. Can I tell you it's worse in the A team oh, when Lord. BA is driving his van. He's like, no, you can't see what I'm doing, but it's just like he's steering all over the place. And I remember when I was a kid mentioning it to my dad. I said, I said, why do they do that? And he says, he said, you can't drive like that. So he was driving down a road in Hounslow somewhere for bingo card fans. And he did that. And the car was going all over the place. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, people differently. And then like, even when they're coming up on a turn, it'll be like the smallest turn. And it's the most exaggerated. I'm like, if you really did that, like your back wheels would go fly. If you guys have never noticed that, go back and look at every movie from the 80s and 90s specifically <laughs> and watch them drive. It is it is it is one of my things. I'm always like, why does it look like? But I don't understand. The other thing is like they hold their elbows out straight too. you don't know talk about Tim. That's sure. what I mean by like the hula hoop thing. No one drives like that anyway. <laughs> and then the, the kicker is they're like staring at the passenger while they're doing it. <laughs> Real safe driving around here. All right. That had nothing to do with it. And that's basically what he was doing on this bus with his coffee. And his, <laughs> and sandwich. his sandwich. And his sandwich. It, probably, it ever, probably had paste in it or something. Did you ever pick up on the coffee sandwich thing or is that new to you? <laughs> that's new to me. I need to rewatch it. <laughs> I want you to go back and fill us in on your thoughts of the coffee sandwich. Excellent. All right. Well, let's move on to another Cliff song. I know there's a lot of uh, driving in films to be discussed, but let's <laughs> let's move on to another Cliff song. Right. So I'm going to jump forward a bit. I'm not going to go sort of chronologically through his career. I'm just going to just pick and choose some of the songs. So, okay. um, so I'm going to move to this is probably one of the two songs that you're familiar with. And this is Carrie from 19, I believe it's 1988, I think. Actually, it's not. There's another one. Besides the one about the evil person that you can figure out. Ah, well, actually, I'm wrong on the date. Carrie is not 1988. That's the year that my compilation was made, but it's a 70s song. Well, that's funny because I went, Carrie, oh, we're moving into the late 70s, early 80s, question mark. That's what I wrote because I could hear this change in the songs. And then I was like, is Carrie dead? Did he kill Carrie? Okay, the song's kind of creepy because at one point he's like, Carrie doesn't live here anymore, Mm -hmm. right? I'm like, did he kill her? Is it, well, she, is, she moved from the second floor and she didn't leave a forwarding address. But are we sure she actually did that? Or is I, that a metaphor, Tim? It could be. I mean, I, I believe the song was written or co-written by B.A. Robertson, who wrote a lot of music in this era. I mean, it sounds that's why I wrote the thing. I was like, oh, we're moving into the 70s stuff. Very 70s-esque. Um, very... It fit the, the time period for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, my notes just go, well, is Carrie dead? Where did she move to? What happened to her? <laughs> I mean, it was a cool song. I like the sound of it, but I was I'm a very I'm very lyrics oriented when I listen to music, if you haven't picked up on that. And so I, sometimes mm-hmm. I take them more literal than I probably have to. And yeah, that's probably like- my own fault. Yeah, I like Carrie. I th- I've, of the, of the Cliff songs I really like, uh, Carrie is one of like the two or three that I really like. Yeah, I would say this one's up there. I'm guessing then this one was charted in America as well. Yeah, this one and mm-hmm. the next one I'm coming on to are the ones that had 
chart hits in the United States. And these are the ones that people here have probably heard of. And in fact, I'll move straight on to the next one, which is Devil Woman. Okay. Yeah, that's the one that I was saying, Evil Woman, that everybody knows. I wrote, I've heard it a million times easily. And then I sent Tim last night just a screenshot of me watching the video. And like the videos on the the video, the graphics on that are intense. Like he's like doubling across the screen, but it's very old school, not done well. Mm. And he's got like a green sweater on with like a black ground. But I mean, Every movie and every TV show, she's just a devil woman. I swear it's come up. And Charlie was literally watching something over here while I was listening to the songs. He goes, huh, they should have put that in this TV show because she's evil. And they're talking about something evil. (laughs) He's like, that should have been in the soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it has been used in a lot of different things. One interesting production note about Devil Woman. I'm not quite sure the guitar player who played it. I think it was... Hmm. Either the guy in Cliff's band at the time or Session Guy or whatever, I'm not sure. But the guy is playing a Les Paul, and you know, it goes beep, 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 the, yeah. the note. What you do is that you get your note feeding back on your guitar, and a Les Paul has two pickups and a volume control for each, and you wind mm-hmm. the volume of one pickup off, and then you use the selector switch to, to make it like cut in and out. Oh, that makes sense. That's how they're getting that sound. Yeah, goes, I beep, actually. Beep, 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 beep. There's a few of his songs. There's some interesting background noise like that. Like what you were saying, like there were notes that I'm trying to figure out how they were doing. So that's cool. Yeah. And Pete Townsend famously used to do that too, but it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. that it's used on that track. Cause I, that, cause I said, I listened to all these tracks a few times before we did the record tonight. And that's one of the things that gets my ear. And also the guy, he does he, the, the, the guitar work on devil woman is very, as they say, very tasty. Well, it's not very surprising to me, though, this out of some of the other things I've heard was the American hit, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Because it had a sound that fit in what was popular. Was this song in the 70s? Yeah, this this is a 70s hit. That's what I'm saying. It, it, it definitely gives that 70s vibe that was popular in America. Like I easily because I was like, apparently I was I was curious to know. I was trying to find out how many movies and TV shows have been used in and I couldn't find confirmation dark internet but when i gave him a goog it said um this was his first top 20 hit in america okay we we had serious radio for a very short period of time mm-hmm. and we used to listen to 70s on seven and this was one in their rotation of 15 songs they play on a loop charlie listens to serious and he got he switches between 70s 80s 90s the beatles channel and like some other 2000s and rock music like because he likes the serious radio and i hear the song a lot yeah, it's, it's, it's one that they seem to play. And what is it with Sirius Radio? They have 100 music stations, but each one of those 100 music stations plays 10 songs in a loop. Do you know they have a whole channel now? And when I went to it, it was called like electronic. It was like, I was thinking like dance music, like UK dance music. And mm-hmm. the whole channel was just ABBA on repeat, which I'm not mad about, but it didn't make any sense. Mm. I was like, that's not exactly what I thought you were going for, but I'll take it. ABBA's cool. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I mean... I have my music library and I can recreate that just by sticking stuff on a USB <laughs> stick. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> when I'm in Charlie's car generally, cause sometimes I drive his car, especially with gas prices the way they are right now. Cause for those who don't know, my husband has a Prius. Um, I will like just leave it on serious, but yeah, I tend to flip back and forth between the seventies and the eighties and the nineties channel. And they played like, there maybe once in a while, you'll get a random blue mood of a different thing. The other one I'd go to is the Beatles channel. Mm-hmm. It actually plays a lot of the not known Beatles. Like that one's a good one for hearing stuff you wouldn't know. But then Charlie gets mad at me when he gets back in his car. Cause he's like, Joy has been driving my car. It's on the Beatles channel again. <laughs> it's not even what his voice sounds like. I don't know what that was. <laughs> All right. How, how long have you known him? I mean, <laughs> have you an idea of how he like speaks? Or? <laughs> Tim can tell you from confirmation. Cause he's talked to Charlie many times that sounded mm-hmm. nothing like his voice. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> All right, back to Cliff Richard. Okay, so I'm going to move on to this one because you wanted to discuss this in particular. So this is for, is a Christmas hit Award. from 1988, I believe it was, Mistletoe and Wine. My first thing I wrote down is, 
he rhymes Christmas time with mistletoe and wine. <laughs> I was like, because I was like, when I first read the the headline, I was like, is this going to be a sad Christmas song? Because he's drinking wine. Is he happy and he's drinking wine? You know, I wasn't sure where it was going. Right. So the first line, when I realized, I was like, okay, so where does the mistletoe and wine come in? Because it was a very Christmassy talk about Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And then out of nowhere, he says Christmas time. And then he goes into the next line and it's with mistletoe and wine and that's where i realized that it came from because it rhymed <laughs> and children sing in christian rhyme with logs on the fire and does it twigs on the trees time something to rejoice like or something like that i can't remember all the lyrics but it's, it's, um, it's a it's a joyous part of the christmas season now having cliff so the next thing is okay so at certain parts it like intertwined silent night Yes. So there's some intertwining of Silent Night. But then in one part, right after it first breaks into the Silent Night, there's like a trumpet and there's a bell and there's like all these instruments. And one of my notes just goes, what is the what in the blank is that noise? Is that an <laughs> instrument? And then I wrote, and now we have a xylophone. Because it like it transcends you hear bells and you hear silent night, and then you hear a trumpet, and then some instrument I couldn't figure out what it was, and then it went straight into a xylophone. It's, it's beautiful. Dreams of Santa, dreams of snow, fingers <laughs> numb and faces aglow. Why do I even know the lyrics to this? I'm not even looking this up. This is just coming out of my brain. And then the next note goes, there's so much happening because there's a lot of words in this song. <laughs> and, I said, and then right at the end, there's this woman. It kind of like, the, I think it goes acapella. I can't remember, but it just basically the track kind of stops. And there's this lady singing in a very high pitched falsetto. And then I was like, is that a lady or is that a child? It's, a, it's, <laughs> it's like a um, carol singer. It is, but her falsetto was very high. It almost reminded me of a child. I think it's. I, was, I think it's a. I think it's a male child, young hmm. child. Okay, so that's why. That's what I wrote. I was like, "Is this a lady or is this a child?" Because I mean, it could have went either way. And then I wrote, "There's a lot in this song <laughs> because it's like it felt like four songs in one song." Tim, I, I know. I, I mean, it's. It, it, the Christmas season is not complete without mistletoe and wine. <laughs> So, question: Is it a popular song in the UK during Christmas time? Do you I hear think it a so. lot? I mean, the problem that you have with Cliff, and like this is something that Cliff has spoken about often, mm-hmm. is that he is seen as like old-fashioned, too old, and mm-hmm. radio stations, contemporary radio stations, will not play his music. Even ones that are golden oldie stations will not play his music because he's seen as kind of a has been from the past. And Cliff has spoken out about that many times, saying. You know, I, I'm, I had these hits in these decades and you're playing these people, but why aren't you playing me? I mean, that's a good point. But I will say I do struggle with Christmas music. I'm not a big Christmas music person to begin with. Um, and sometimes it's hard when it's not just like the classics. You know what I mean? Anytime an artist tries to do like their own non-classic Christmas song, sometimes it's hard to get that to get played. And mistletoe and wine though was a great title and it did catch my attention so i'll give him that okay (laughs) but i was just like but i was like is it gonna be a sad christmas song because when i thought of wine i thought oh my god is he drinking wine because he's sad on christmas oh no no he's not there's a lot happening (laughs) joy i think they call it a joyous romp is what they call it well there we go and then (laughs) But my favorite part is he robs Christmas time with mistletoe. <laughs> get over that. That's amazing. Well, I'd like to think that this Christmas, Joy, when you when you put your very few <laughs> Christmas songs on, one of which being Waitress's Christmas Wrapping, I'd like to think you'd follow that up with Cliff Richard's Mistletoe and Wine. I've got to go back and listen to it a few more times. When I said it, there's a, Tim can testify to this. There's a lot happening in this song. Like you, it's, it's like an experience, like a roller coaster. So I've got to go back and listen again. <laughs> I love that my review told everyone everything and nothing all at the same time. <laughs> all right, what's the next song, Tim? All right, well, we're going to skip a little bit back. This is to the 60s. Okay. And we're going to go to Congratulations. Now, I don't know if you knew this from listening to the song or looking into this song. This is a song that Cliff won the Eurovision Song Contest with. I did. My first note goes, his Eurovision song, did he win? So Tim answered that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so he won. 
Okay. Because I think the YouTube video I found was the Eurovision version. That was the first one that popped up because he was like on a stage with his head and it's like a little windy thing behind him. And then there was like three girls over here in small pink dresses doing the backup vocals. Mm-hmm. Apparently that was when he won. See, this must have been pre what I've seen of Eurovision. And maybe I just don't understand Eurovision, but I... What I have seen of Eurovision is much more intense than this. So it has changed, I'm guessing. Um, I also said I love using the word jubilation. (laughs) I've never heard that in a song before. Congratulations and jubilations. Maybe it's because. So, I mean, I guess where you guys have like jubilees and stuff or well, they Tim's America now, but where you did have jubilees. Is it a word that's used very often? No, it's it's whoever wrote that song had a rhyming dictionary. That's what it is. Well, I like the jubilation because I've never heard it in a song. Um, and then I thought it was interesting that he uses a lot of he very distinct backup singers, backup mm-hmm. singers and backup dancers, which I have. We haven't talked about any of the videos, but all of his videos had a lot of good backup dancers. Um, but the girls that were singing backup on this had great voices. Um, I picked up on that very quickly. I liked the way they layered. Um, it wasn't really a harmony, though, but it layered very well. Like it just stuck out to me. And then they were dressed very go-go-esque um, with very small pink dresses on for Eurovision. <laughs> mm. Well, the thing is with Eurovision, what it used to be back in the day is that you would perform with the Eurovision house band. I mm-hmm. think now people tend to uh, sing to track and they don't mm-hmm. have a live band there. But back then you had like a Eurovision house band that would uh, mm-hmm. that would perform your track. The thing is about Eurovision, certainly when I was growing up, it was more unique in so much that in the UK, you didn't get exposed to a lot of European music. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't listen to French pop hits or Belgian pop hits or Swiss yeah music it, it just it just wasn't available you know i'm sure you could go to some specialist record shop to buy it but it was not something that you had readily available so the eurovision was quirky because you would have this song contest mm. where you would have the french entry and somebody speak someone singing in french and of course the kind of how they dressed or how they moved or the kind the artists they were was very normal culturally in france but to british eyes it was like what's going on here and then they had a guy called Terry Wogan, who was a Radio 2 presenter and TV presenter. And he used to do the commentary for the Eurovision. And he was very cutting and very harsh, but quite funny with it. And so yeah. Terry Wogan became like the voice of Eurovision. Mm. So it, it was a it was like an entertainment program as much as it was a music program. I guess that my conception is probably false in the sense that I imagine everybody on Eurovision to look like, you know, the rednecks caught my Joe video, (laughs) like that kind of thing is what I always thought of as Europe. But I guess it's probably, it's also probably became more fanfare over time. I would imagine and probably became more exaggerated. Sure. And then the other problem with Eurovision is that, it the the voting became political like you know one Mm -hmm. country wouldn't vote for the other country and this country had something going on so no one would vote for them and it it ceased being a song contest you you could you could predict almost when the when the votes came in who was going to do what and it was and it was famous because they would go through each country and they they would they would always before video links they'd always phone in and they said oh we're now we're now talking to denmark to copenhagen hey copenhagen how you doing and they'd always be like the line would be crackly and it didn't come through properly and the person was speaking danish and not english and then they would give their things and then they would say united kingdom one point and they'd go royal uni unpile well one thing though is like what was it this year? I saw some posts about they thought that the Ukraine was going to win because of what was going on politically in the world. I don't sure. know if they did or not, but that's what people were claiming. Exactly. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the famous one of that you didn't want to hear is was nil point. So it'd be like <laughs> United Kingdom, nil point. Of course. All right. Yeah, I just that song was cool. I mean, it didn't. It was very easy going on the ears once again. Very easy mm-hmm. flowing kind of song. I didn't really have much to say about it besides that um, I was curious if he won Eurovision. Um, and then I thought it was funny that the songs, the main lyric was congratulations. You're in love with me. You're so lucky. What a song. <laughs> like, aren't you so lucky to be in love with me? Congratulations. <laughs> I, I thought that was funny. <laughs> there we are. Okay. Well, let's, move on to, let, let, let's, let's swing back to 1979. Okay. To we, we don't talk anymore. Now this is a classic 
pop era cliff song i think if you was gonna if you was gonna put your finger on early pop of cliff probably the first one you think of is we don't talk anymore so i have a lot of notes on this one too mostly specific i found a video where he was performing it live Mm-hmm. And the first thing I said was, oh, very late, very 70s, very 70s esque. And I said, he's very matching the vibe for the 70s. And then I wrote, this man has perfect skin. They zoom in on his face. And I have never seen a person with more perfect skin than Cliff Richard. No, he he is he has kept himself in excellent shape. I mean, you know, I think he's always been you know, into healthy eating and fitness and all that kind of yeah. stuff. He had very perfect skin. Like when they zoomed in on him, he was not wearing any makeup, I swear. And at perfect skin. Um, I was watching kind of like a remastered video, I think. So take that into perspective because it didn't look, it looked very HD for the time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, oh, I've heard that this is the one I've heard before, Tim. We don't talk anymore. I said, maybe a radio hit. So then I went and Googled it. I said, did this chart in America? And it was number seven. And I said, oh. I knew it. Apparently, I said, and then I said, <laughs> He looks kind of like Donny Osmond, but didn't everybody in the 70s have that haircut? Andy, give anyone <laughs> question mark because of the outfit and everything. Um, I said he also has a great head voice because he has a nice falsetto in this song. You hear it come out more in this song because when he flips his head voice, it sounds great. But then I also said in the video, he's standing on stage and they're like circling around him with the camera, which was kind of giving me motion sickness, but. That's not his fault. That was the st- whoever did it. But yeah, this song I knew was an, it was an American hit. This was the other one I knew. Yeah, well, I'm I'm surprised because it's one of the it's one of those ones that you think of when so so when I was growing up and you think of Cliff, this was something that you that I would hear growing well, up if the, if Cliff was being played. It said it reached number seven on the Billboard charts here in America, so that's pretty high up. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm I'm, I'm impressed. I did not know that charted here at all. Yeah, I started hearing it. And I was like, hmm. That sounds really familiar. And then I kept thinking, I feel like I've heard this, but I'm like, it also sounds a lot like, you know, I was talking about the Donnie Osmond, Andy Gibb kind of thing because mm-hmm. of the way he looked at everything. So I thought maybe I was just projecting that onto him. But then I Googled it and it was like, yeah, it was a hit in America, number seven. I think it actually peaked higher in America than it did in the UK when I looked at it. Wow. There I would, I would have never would have thought that. Well, I think that he matched the vibe that was like very popular in the 70s in America with this song. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I mean, you said, I mean, this was um, 1979, so you're almost at the cusp of the golden decade. Well, and that's right before they kind of ended the whole disco thing. Like, it's right on that time. Because, like, my mom, she graduated in 1980, and she always jokes about, like, that she was the generation of disco. Like, that Mm -hmm. was her thing. Um, Because that's right when it kind of ended its thing. But, yeah, but also, like, and the reason I said that, though, for people who didn't get the picture i was trying to paint he had that long hair that kind of like parted in the middle very feathery and then he was wearing like a gold sequin shirt that was very flowy and of course it was like open in the front had little strings then he was wearing bell bottoms that they were tucked into it was very 70s donny osmond these andy gibb kind of look at thing fabulous what a look <laughs> it was, well, I mean, I just, that is exactly what i imagine being on you know bandstand in 1979 <laughs> i don't even know if bandstand was still a thing in 1979 but if it was go back and listen to our bandstand episode i'm sure i told you on there <laughs> exactly <laughs> anyway what's the next song tim so these are two cuts from the album Wired for Sound. Now, okay. I deliberately didn't choose Wired for Sound because I think we've covered that in a previous episode. And Wired for Sound is probably my favorite Cliff Richard song of all time. Was, I think it was the one I was talking about memories from my youth and it's mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I didn't want to delve into that too much. But on the Wired for Sound album, there are two songs that I picked out for Joy to listen to. The first one is Cause I Love That Rock and Roll. Okay, because I love that rock and roll. All right, so that one was towards the end of my list Um, because I love my rock and roll. I said he likes to make a lot of noises at the beginning of his songs. (laughs) So, like, it's almost like not – I don't want to say, like – it's a doo-wop kind of sound, but it's almost like scatting in a way, but done very well. Like mm-hmm. in this beginning of this song and a few other songs, I noticed he starts out with a lot of more of like noise. It sounds weird when I say noises, but I don't mean noise, but like ad-libbing like notes and stuff. Um, and this song that stood out to me. Um, and then also, though, I said at the beginning, I was like, 
some doesn't like he's talking about like the nostalgia of rock and roll, right? He loves rock mm-hmm. and roll. He doesn't want it to disappear. But then I was like, the song really doesn't sound like rock and roll. And then it changed and you had a really cool guitar riff come in that I thought was really nice. It almost got louder than the singers that were singing. So I thought that was the play of the rock and roll. Yeah, and I think maybe he's referencing the fact that rock and roll is a, a as a state of mind, an attitude, if you will, rather than actual mm. musical genre. Well, I mean, that's possible, and I took it too literal. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, I mean, it is a very, it's like, you know, a very nostalgia song. He's talking about, you know, I just, because this doesn't need to die. And I assumed, what time frame was this song out? Like, what was this, the years? This, this is 1981. See, I thought maybe he was kind of referencing, you know, how, like some people were very stuck on the 60s and 70s kind of rock sound. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought possibly he was talking about, but yeah, Tim might I, be right. I, yeah, I think he's probably talking about the nostalgia of his earlier days in the 50s and the 60s and stuff like that. Because, and then I was also like, he really loves his backup singers. He has intense backup singers on every song, even this one. Like, I don't know if you picked up on that, Tim, but his backup singers are very used. Like, they don't just come off as backup singers. I don't know. Maybe it's just me who picks that out. But. Yeah, I've, I've, never, I've never really picked picked up on that much. I mean, when I listen to tracks like this, I t- if I'm deep listening to the track, I'm listening to the instrumentation, especially if there's a great guitar part in it, more than the backing vocals, if I'm being honest. Well, and that might just be because I'm a vocalist and Tim's a guitarist and we're going to focus on what makes sense to us. But that's just what I thought. I just thought he had a lot of intense backup singers. They sound great. It's just weird because I don't know. It, it, his backup singer seems more focused on you here in other songs. Sure. Specifically this song, I made the note. Okay, and well, I know equally on the same album, you've got the song "Daddy's Home." What did you What did you think of that? Because that is a that's a cover version of an old doo wop song. Okay, I kind of thought it was creepy, and just hear me. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two things that were strange about this that I couldn't figure out. One, I watched the music video. I like to watch the music videos because it just adds something to something you've never seen before. So in the beginning of the video, he's in like a broken down bar that's got like pool tables. Mm-hmm. And then they appear and he's like singing the song and then he's it's like he's going back in time and he's seeing the bar, the pool table bar when it should have like when it was at full whatever capacity and people are around him. So my notes go, is he in a broken down pool bar thing? Why is it back to working? <laughs> so then I said, oh, and then I said, oh, he loves a good backup dancer. He likes dancing. He really does. Because in this one, there was a lot of backup dancers like at the pool tables. They weren't overtly dancing, but there was choreography. Yeah, because like in his video for Wide for Sound, his backup dancers are on roller skates, as is him. Yeah, I think that that and then like I just noticed throughout a couple of different things, he seems to really like his backup dancers, along with his backup singers, apparently. And then I was like, I started listening to the lyrics and I was like, oh, that is a reference to a lover. And that feels weird. <laughs> like what I heard daddy told, I assumed they met like a father figure. No. No, no. Well, this is this is a this is a song that was written in 1961, and I know this was being covered in the 80s, but it's it's an old song, and then redone in the early 80s. I think contemporary thoughts on things like that were not necessarily at the forefront when he recorded it. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's one of those didn't age well things, but like I was just like. Oh, and then he's talking about like his her friend told him she was crying. And so he had to come home and now daddy's home. And I'm like, OK, that feels real weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I said, I do like the sound, a very peaceful doo-wop kind of thing, which now makes sense based on what you just said. It's a remake. I didn't pick up on that. Exactly. OK, yeah. all right. So let's uh, let's close out with the last uh, song that I'm going to pick off this list. And this is from 1962. And this is Bachelor Boy. Bachelor Boy, which I thought was weird. There's one other one I want to just mention before we close. This is just my pick. But Bachelor Boy, um, I thought it was interesting because he's talking about he'll be a bachelor. Like his dad tells him he'll be a bachelor until he dies. But then at one point he said, when the turtle dove changes, maybe I'll get married and have a wife. Otherwise, I'll be a bachelor until I die. And I'm like, so is he going to be a bachelor or is he going to get married? What does the turtle dove mean? I thought it was like peace. Like, don't they like carry a little branch or something? T- turtle doves are reference in the uh, the 12 Days of Christmas. 
Yeah, but I thought they have like, okay, turtle dove meeting. We're giving it a goog, everybody. <laughs> um, what does a turtle dove simulize? Affection. Cogni rhyming slave adopted tr- turtle dove to mean love. So ah, just saying okay. if he were to fall in love, he would eventually maybe have a wife. Oh, well, there we are. I, 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 didn't, I didn't even put that together. Well, I just thought it was weird because I'm like, why did he, why does he say he's going to be a bachelor until he dies? And now he's talking about getting married. Okay. So what he's saying is he'll be a bachelor unless he falls in true love. So maybe that's why he's a permanent bachelor because he never fell in true love. Yeah. And certainly reading, uh, reading up about him, about this record, he said there was many ladies that who, who were his companion, but he never felt he could love any of them enough. So he's been a bachelor his entire life. All right, Tim, I have to talk about this one line from this one song. I know it's not on your list, but it's the Living Doll song. <laughs> yes, Living Doll. Come yes. I said, okay, creepy, original Barbie girl here. And then I went, got a roving, a roving eye, and that's why it satisfies my soul. What does that mean? And then I wrote, did he say he was going to lock her up in a truck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no mean punk can steal her away from me. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? Because like, I was just listening. I was like, what does that mean? And then I'm like trying to figure out what he means. But then out of nowhere, it's like, and I'm going to lock her up in a truck. And I'm like, what? Uh, anyway, I just wanted yeah, everyone to the, know. Um, the lyrics to Living Doll from 1959 may have done, haven't aged well. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Boy, haven't they? I mean, I don't think it literally means lock her up in a trunk, but I wasn't expecting that to be so blunt in the song. <laughs> That's all I wanted to leave everybody on. So if you've never heard the song Living Doll, I would give it a goog. Okay, but there we are. That, that's that's a, a little t- We're bringing it back for the end of the episode. That's a tip of the week from Joy. <laughs> give it a goog. <laughs> yeah. Talk about not aging well. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. See you later. Bye-bye.